that be the prayer of each and every one of us. I want to thank Dale and Lori for coming and leading us in our worship. <clears throat> thank you guys so much. See, they do more than just lead us in our singing. So often I'll call Lori and say, well, I need to change this verse, or I need to do that, or, or I need to take this verse out, or I need to add these things. She never argues. Dale never debates. They said, okay. I just appreciate their spirit. I, I, I tell you, there may be other churches that have more talented, and they'll be the first to tell you. Uh, but I can guarantee you, I don't know of any other church that has has two couple has a couple who come to worship God and who love what they're doing and I just appreciate their spirit and their attitude and praise God for them. I just thank you. Thank you so much. Well this morning I plan to finish this part of our study. This will be our third Sunday on what I was hoping to do one Sunday. But I want us to look at why it is that our church emphasizes rightly dividing the word of God. Why our church emphasizes dispensational theology. Now this is all part of our study on what we believe and why. We are going to be taking our doctrinal statement starting next Sunday with the Bible and talking about what it is that we believe about God's Word. We do believe that this is God's Word without error, infallible, and we stand upon this book as our absolute authority. So we're going to be talking about that uh, next week. God's Word is very clear. 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to do what? Study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that need not be ashamed rightly dividing the Word of Truth. We are to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Where is that division? Not between Old Testament and New Testament, between, but between prophecy, that which God revealed to the Old Testament prophets, if you will, concerning Israel and the promises to Israel and God's intent for Israel, God's program for Israel, God's plan for Israel and what He was going to do to bless the world through Abraham's seed and how Israel plays such a predominant major role um, in the Scriptures is because they were God's peculiar people. They were God's chosen nation. Um, but you divide the Scriptures between prophecy, that which relates to Israel, and the mystery, that which was revealed to the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, that special revelation which has nothing to do with the nation of Israel, but is a special revelation given to him concerning the church, the body of Christ, where Jew and Gentile would make up a body with Christ as the head, a totally different program of God's uh, that was a mystery that had been kept secret in God, not revealed to the Old Testament prophets, not revealed to the apostles, not revealed to John the Baptist, not revealed until it was revealed to this chief of sinners, this man who was saved on the road to Damascus and by God's grace um, saved and made the first member of the body of Christ there in Acts chapter 9. Simply put, we are dispensationalists. 
And one of the things that we mean by dispensationalist is that we are literalist. We believe what God says in His Word He will do. We believe that the church and Israel are two separate entities. And to understand the Scriptures, in order to rightly divide the Scriptures, you have to understand and see the church, the body of Christ, which is made up of redeemed Jews and redeemed Gentiles, as being different from what God's promises and program is for Israel, His peculiar, His peculiar people, His chosen nation. Covenant theologians are what you would call spiritualist. We are literalist. They are spiritualist. They believe that you take the word in certain areas and you spiritualize so much of it that all the promises of God uh, in the, in the Old Testament, all the promises to Israel will literally find their fulfillment in the church. They do not see the church and Israel as two separate entities. Today, in this dispensation of the grace of God, in this church age, God is no respecter of persons. God does not have a chosen nation that He is working through or working with. God is no respecter of persons. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. God is not working through a peculiar group of people or nation. He is working through His church, the body of Christ, where a, a Jew can come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in You. Save me. And he becomes a redeemed Jewish man. A Gentile can go and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. I realize I'm a sinner and I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and He becomes a redeemed Gentile. And they are both placed into the body of Christ and still there until the day of redemption, having no connection with the nation of Israel and God's programs and plans for the nation of Israel. God's plans that will take place for the nation of Israel are all based on His covenant promises to Israel. What God promises to do, He will do. God's plan and program for Israel are based on what He has promised via His covenant relationship with Israel to do, He will do. The church, on the other hand, is not saved, is not kept by God's covenant promises to that nation. We are saved and kept by grace. By grace. God is under no obligation from His Word to offer us salvation. As a matter of fact, as we're going to see, hopefully we'll have time today to do that. The clock's turned upside down. Well, we'd be here a long time going by that. Either that or it was already time to dismiss. By the way, I do need to have a quick board meeting with the church board right after the service. So I, it's only going to be just a few seconds, so if you could meet me back over here right after I, there's a... Uh, an issue we needed to discuss real quick. So, anyway, uh, God is working through the nation of Israel uh, in the Old Testament. In the, and then when we come to uh, the middle part of Acts, we find God saving the Apostle Paul and revealing to him through the latter part of the book of Acts and into the church epistles the things concerning the mystery. We believe that what God says He's going to do, God does. What He means, He says and he does those things. As a matter of fact, think of it this way. How cruel would it be? How cruel? What a grand hoax 
it would be. And not very loving, not very faithful, for God to have made promises to a nation, to a certain people, knowing all along, because He's a sovereign God, that He was really not going to do what He says He was going to do. That He, he really knew that the, His promises was actually going to be fulfilled through a different group. And as we're going to see from these scriptures, God's word is very clear. God's word is very plain. And for God to all of a sudden just change his mind and say, nope, that's not what I'm going to do. I've changed my mind. wouldn't be very loving. Actually, it would be a hoax. Now, I know a lot of uh, critics of our doctrinal position will say, well, you believe that God changes. No, we don't believe that God changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. But his program has changed. As a matter of fact, those, those very critics who say that we believe that God changes really believe that God changes. When you stop and think about it, covenant theology who believes that God made these promises to a specific nation and certain, uh, certain promises, uh, and then later on he says, eh, no, I'm just going to do it through this group. No, uh, that's, that's not the way it, it happened. So we need to distinguish between prophecy and promises detailing God's plan and purpose for His chosen nation, His peculiar people, Israel, and that revelation that was given to Paul concerning that mystery, that hidden secret that was not revealed until it was revealed in here. Uh, it, it was revealed in, in Pauline epistles. Now remember this before we get... This is all introduction, okay? Remember this, that the reconciling of the world to God is really at the heart of all of it. Reconnecting man to God. Having that special revelation. And here's what we find with dispensational theology. What we find is that it's only by God can man be reconnected to his creator. Man fails, God saves. It is entirely up to God. Think of it this way. God in His infinite wisdom and might and sovereignty created us. Only God in His might and sovereignty can make us new creations. That man is totally helpless. And what the different dispensations do from approaching the Scripture from a dispensational standpoint, what dispensational theology does really, really praises God. Man was created in innocence. What did man do when he had that opportunity? He failed, didn't he? He failed. God had to intervene. God worked with man in conscience. What happened? Failure. They built the Tower of Babel. Oops. God dealt, dealt with man when the promise. I'm going to give you a land. You occupy that land. How did that dispensation end? The 70 left the promised land and moved to Egypt because there was a famine. Did they say, God, you can't take care of us here in this famine? Now, we know how God turned that around and used it, but how did that fail? I mean, how did that end up failing? See, every dispensation, the dispensation of law. Wow. 
that ended in, I mean, in failure. And so what did God have to do? God has to step in and by grace, by grace, save man. Even the kingdom dispensation, the thousand-year reign, before the, the dispensation of the fullness of time is ushered in, that thousand-year reign is going to end in failure. When Satan is going to be loosed from the bottomless pit, he's going to raise up another army. Boom, God's going to uh, bring judgment. Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And then the dispensation, the fullness of times are going to come in. As a matter of fact, this dispensation ends with the rapture of the church. Now, that's victorious and that's glory. But let me tell you how this dispensation ends and how it ends in failure. Right now, God is offering salvation to everyone by grace. Isn't that amazing? Wow, we prayed and thanked God a while ago for a wonderful plan of salvation. How that by grace we come, there's no works, there are no sacrifices, there's no circumcision, there's absolutely nothing we have to do. Christ has done it all. And we come by faith believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. How come this church is not full? How come every church in the world is not packed with people thanking God for His grace and His mercy? See, even when God offers salvation by grace through faith and nothing else, what does man still do? I don't know. See, in every dispensation, you have a remnant. You have just a small group who respond to God by faith. See, the bottom line is if God doesn't do it, it doesn't get done in every dispensation. And it's God moving on our hearts. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Himself. What a tremendous plan of salvation that is. So anyway, let's get on with the Scriptures because we've got a bunch of them that I'd like for us to cover. So we talk about right division concerns uh, prophecy and the promises made to Israel. We covered that last week. Okay. I want you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. That's this one right here. The one that says Genesis 12. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This was Abraham, or Abram. Keep in mind as we go through all of these scriptures, this promise of God, God's intent to bless Abraham's seed and thereby blessing all the nations of the world. God's plan, God's program from this point is via His promise to Abraham is to bless all the nations. That through the rise of Israel and all the wonderful glories and blessings that come upon Israel, even the Gentile nations are going to be brought into those blessings. So that was God's promise to Abraham. Even Genesis chapter 17, that's not up there. Let me read it to you real quick. Genesis chapter 17, God promises Abraham that he is going to give them a son, verse 19 of 1719, and I'm going to bless your son. His name is 
Isaac, and I'm going to establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God is narrowing down that covenant promise to, to even with Isaac. Now turn over to Exodus 19. Exodus 19. Start with verse 5. This is God speaking to Moses, telling Moses what to tell the children of Israel. They have been... They've come out of Egypt. They've been delivered from bondage. They come out of Egypt. And listen to what God says to to this nation. And was God dealing with the nation? Yeah. About two to three million people. And he was giving a special revelation to Moses. It's called the law. Just like he's going to give a special revelation to Paul concerning the mystery, concerning this dispensation of grace. But verse 5, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses does, and the nation of Israel says, I will do it. So be it. Yep, we're we're on the same page. We're going to do it. Israel is going to be a nation of priests, a holy nation. Is God's promises true? Hmm. His promises are true. He made that promise to Israel. Turn over to Isaiah. Yeah, turn over to Isaiah. But let me read to you Deuteronomy 7 real quick. Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. Who's he talking to here? Israel. He's he's talking to a particular nation. He's talking to a group of people. He's talking to a group of people that he is going to massage and nurture and work with and use in order to be his nation of priests. What is a priest? A priest is someone who represents God to man and man to God. That's what a priest is. This nation is to be that nation of priests who represents God to man and then represents man before God. For thou art a holy people. What's the word holy mean? Separated. Set apart. For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen you to be a special people unto Himself above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, but cho- nor cho- chose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of this mighty land and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. Who can claim that promise? Who can look at that? Can the church, the body of Christ? No. It's the nation of Israel that this was written specifically to. Now we can read it and go, wow, what a mighty God. What a faithful God. What a principle here we find of God's faithfulness. But he's not talking to the church, the body of Christ here. Look, now look to, uh, at Isaiah. Go over to Isaiah. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in Isaiah as we zoom, zoom through these scriptures. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. 
the Lord that Isaiah the son of Amaz did, did, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Tells you pretty much who he's talking to here, huh? Concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. Is that a spiritual promise or a literal promise? Covenant theologians would say, well, that's a spiritual promise. But dispensationalists read that and go, that's a literal promise. What God says He's going to do, God is going to do. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and He will teach us His ways, and we will walk in the paths, for out of Zion, what's another name for Zion? Jerusalem, shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and He shall judge among the nations. Sounds like something going on on the earth and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. If we're going to get through these verses, I'm going to have to go. But let's go. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Did that literally take place? <laughs> Absolutely. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, a literal kingdom, a literal throne, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord will perform this. Now you go back over to Second Samuel. Second Samuel's up there. You can write this down. Yeah, it's Second Samuel. Second uh, uh, Samuel 7, verse 16, it talks about the throne of David being established forever. Now, was that just a spiritual promise or is it a physical, literal promise? It's a literal promise. When Christ Jesus sits on the throne of David, it is going to be a literal throne that He sits upon. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 1, we find that same prophecy talking about this little Christ child and what He is going to do and how He's going to fulfill that. So write down uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, 30, verses 31 through 33, and also Luke 1, 67 through 30. Uh, 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 Verses 67 through 80, when uh, John the Baptist's dad really talks about what God is going to do. So how the Lord Jesus fulfills those promises. Look at Isaiah chapter 12, verse 6. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Who is the Holy One of Israel? Christ, the Messiah. Where is He? In the midst of thee. Sounds to me like a literal kingdom being established. Look at Isaiah 24. And the reason we're going over these verses is I just want you to understand what, what God is, is doing. Look at Isaiah 24. Oh. Isaiah 24. Verse 20. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage. And the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day 
that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. That's after the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, okay? And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. They are. They're gathered there at Megiddo. And shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited. Then the moon shall be confounded and the sun ashamed when the Lord and host shall reign in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem before His ancients gloriously. It is a literal fulfillment of God's plans for the nation of Israel when He fulfills His promises to them to be that priestly nation when they realize their Messiah is ruling and reigning on earth. Look at Isaiah 35. You can read Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, but let's look at verse 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You look at that that whole chapter, and it's talking about the kingdom and it being established uh, on earth. Look at Isaiah 49. Actually, Hold your uh, thumb there on chapter 28 because we're going to come back to 28 in a second. But look at Isaiah 49. Keeping in mind, who is this addressed to? Israel. Israel. God's promises to this nation, Israel. 49, verse 6. And he said, It is a light thing that thou should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will give thee for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Who's he talking here? Who's he talking to here? The nation of Israel. Look at Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee and His glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Who's this a promise to? The nation of Israel. Actually, look back over to Isaiah 51 real quick. I encourage you to read the whole the whole Isaiah chapter 51. But, but look at, particularly look at, or just read that whole chapter, but look at verse 11. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. When you take into consideration that the tribulation is going to be... Uh, uh, prior to the kingdom being established and all the persecution that's going to go on, they read these verses and they just rejoice. This is not talking about heaven. It's talking about what God is going to do for and through the nation of Israel when He delivers them. Look at Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof is a lamp that burns. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness. Who is thy? It's Israel. 
and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. And thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hezabah, which means wife, and thy land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord delights in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man bringeth a virgin, or marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Yea, that ye that make, make, maketh mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he established until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength. Surely I will no more give thy corn or meat to thy enemies. Look at verse 11. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto thee the end of the worlds, and say unto the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. And they shall call him the holy, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called a sought out, a city not forsaken. Look at sixty-five, nineteen. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, neither the voice of crying, neither shall be more uh, henceforth an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. You're going to live in your own houses. You're going to inhabit them. Uh, you're going to, your seed is going to be blessed. The wolf and the lamb, they shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw, verse 25, like the bullock. The dust shall be the serpent's meat. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountains, saith the Lord. Where is this prophecy taking place? On the earth. It's promises to the nation of Israel. Quickly. Look at Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. Look at verse 17. At that time, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. And in those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of of the north to the land that I have given for an inheritance unto your fathers. Is God going to fulfill that promise? Absolutely. Friends, you can look at Jeremiah 23. Write that scripture down. Jeremiah 31. I'm going to leave these up there so you can go through every one of those Old Testament scriptures. Look them up on your own. The promises God makes to Israel concerning His promise to Israel. A kingdom where the wolf was going to, or the whole animal kingdom is going to be subdued. Where the desert is going to bloom as the rose. Where the hills are going to shout 
The trees are going to clap their hands. It is going to be a time of blessing. It is going to be a time of joy. It's when Israel shall be able to dwell safely. That's what those scriptures there are talking about. How Israel shall be able to dwell together safely, build their own houses, inhabit them, and not have somebody come along and move them out. Lights happen a whole lot of times. All of those scriptures pertain to what God is going to do with the nation of Israel. And do you know what? Every one of the Old Testament prophets spoke of the kingdom that's to come. Every Old Testament prophet spoke either of the kingdom or of the tribulation that Israel was going to have to endure called the day of the Lord. Isaiah 28 tells us that there was going to come a time when there'd be a time of refreshing. When you stop and you think about the tribulation, when that, that time of Jacob's trouble, that seven-year period when God's wrath is being poured out, when the beast is and the Antichrist is going to be doing everything they can in order to destroy Israel. The kingdom is going to be a time of refreshing. And God's Word tells them that He is going to provide that, that time. Isaiah 28 talks about how there's going to be a sign of that time of refreshing, that the people are going to speak with stammering or strange tongues, and that's going to be a sign that it's going to take place. Remember Isaiah 35, we looked at a while ago, didn't read it, but it says that the lame man is going to walk, and that he's going to jump, and he's going to run, and, and that took place in the early part of Acts. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom, all these promises to Israel were exciting to Israel. They took these promises and they said, these are our promises. This is what God is going to do with us and through us. This is how God is going to bless the world. Oh, what a tremendous program it is. And they were excited about that. No wonder, no wonder that in Acts chapter 1, before the Lord is getting ready to ascend into heaven, what did the apostles ask him? Will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why was that such a big deal? I mean, I can think of a lot of other questions to ask of the Lord as he's ascending. But that was foremost on their mind. Why? Because that was the promises. That was the joy. Remember he had said in Matthew 19, telling them they are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes during the kingdom. What a, lot, what a lofty position that is. So they were excited about it. As the Lord is ascending, they have all these kingdom promises and the, re the restoration of the, the kingdom to Israel where the Messiah, Christ Himself, is going to sit and rule and reign. They're all excited about that. Will you now restore the kingdom to Israel? When the apostles were sent out preaching, they were sent out two by two, they were sent out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They did not preach the gospel as we know the gospel of the grace of God. You need to understand that there's more than one gospel. In this present dispensation, it is the gospel of the grace of God that we proclaim. It is, it is the, how the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior is applied and we as sinners can be made right before God. Boy, what a glorious gospel we have to preach. But the apostles, when they went out preaching, they went out preaching the gospel of of the kingdom. All the joys and, and all the great things about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in, in Luke 9, it says they went out preaching the gospel. 
And I've had preachers say, yeah, but they went out talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, you know what's funny about that? In Luke chapter 18, it tells us that Christ told them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And it says they understood none of those things. So how in the world could they be out preaching the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and not understand any of that? No, they were out preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, when Christ says that the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world and then shall the end come. What was he talking about? The Old Testament prophecies concerning the nation of Israel. Look at Acts chapter 3 real quick. Acts chapter 3. Start with verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, ye men of Chicago, you men of St. Louis, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why do you look so earnestly upon us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But... You, but you denied the Holy One and the just, and you desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His, in his name, hath made this man strong, whom you see now. See and know. Yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers." But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all of His prophets that Christ should suffer, He hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when or in order that the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. You go back to Isaiah 28, it talks about the times of refreshing, which is the kingdom. Peter is telling Israel, repent, in order that the kingdom can be established so that the times of refreshing can come, so that the times that God, the good times that God has promised, the blessings that God has promised can come. Repent, Israel, repent. Verse 20 says, well, shall come from the presence of the Lord, from the Messiah. And He shall send Jesus the Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all of His holy prophets since the world began. Look at verse 24. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Peter was telling you men of Judea, you men of Israel, listen up, repent so that the times of refreshing, repent so that the kingdom can be established. All the things that we rejoice over what the prophets have said, have foretold, it's going to come. Repent and God will establish His kingdom. He is going to send back Christ that was preached unto you. Repent, Israel. What does Israel do? They reject. They reject. Not only do they reject the kingdom, as a matter of fact, who's preaching here? Peter. 
Peter's preaching. Well, what gives Peter the right to be offering that kingdom? What was given to Peter? The keys to what? The kingdom. What do you do with a key? You unlock something. What Peter's doing here in Acts chapter 3 is exactly is what was said was going, that was going to happen. That he was going to have the keys to the kingdom. He's telling Israel to repent. Israel needed to repent. They needed to look to their Messiah so that the whole world could be blessed through Israel's rise as Israel became that nation of priests, as they became that holy people, as they became God's peculiar people. The Gentiles, according to Zechariah 8, ten, ten Gentiles is going to grab the skirts of one Jew and going to say, tell us about your God. Tell us about your God. Does that ever happen? Hardly. Is it going to happen? Yes. See, those are all God's promises and plans for the nation of Israel. You say, yeah, but Israel rejected. That's what John 1.11 says. He came into his own, his own received him not. But you know what? Even that was prophesied was going to happen. Even that was prophesied would happen. And the next order of business is for the tribulation to take place. And it's during this tribulation period that God is going to woo Israel back to Himself Hosea 2 talks about how God is going to take them into the wilderness. Revelation chapter 12 talks about how God is going to take Israel back into the wilderness and there He is going to love them and He is going to speak to them and He is going to draw them to Himself and He is going to make them that peculiar people so during the kingdom they are His holy nation. Jeremiah 31 says, you're not going to have to go around and telling your brother, do you know the Lord? For you're all going to know Me. You're going to be My servants. Those are the promises that God made to Israel. And During the tribulation is that time when He's going to draw them. During that persecution. And they're going to, they're going to see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. God's Word tells us that that when Christ comes back, that the entire nation is going to look upon Him whom they pierced and they are going to mourn. They are going to grieve over what they did and that the whole nation in one day is going to be saved. It's what God's Word says concerning Israel. But here's what you need to understand and we'll be finished. According to prophecy in God's plan and program for Israel, when Israel rejected the Christ, they rejected the kingdom. But more importantly, they committed the unpardonable sin. Israel blasphemed the Holy Spirit. According to Acts chapter 7, they rejected the Holy Spirit. All manner of sin will be forgiven you except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Rejecting the Holy Spirit. Israel rejected the Holy Spirit when a man full of faith, whose face shone like an angel, who stood up and I mean preached a message that pricked their hearts and caused on them to gnash on Stephen with their teeth and destroy him, they were rejecting the message from the Holy Spirit that they needed to repent. And Stephen looks up into heaven and he sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. Friends, in every Scripture that talks about judgment, it's always the Lord standing. Christ had gone and He had sat down at the right hand of the Father. When Stephen looks into heaven, he sees Christ standing. 
It's always in judgment when He stands. Israel, Israel had committed the unpardonable sin. And the next prophecy, the next thing on God's prophetic agenda was the tribulation was to be ushered in. As a matter of fact, Peter, talking in Acts chapter 2, had, had said that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel on the day of Pentecost. What was going on there was what was, was the beginning of the tribulation period, was the beginning of the end. The only thing you didn't have there were the signs in heaven. The signs on the earth were already starting to take place. Peter says, are you saying that the tribulation had started? No, I'm not saying it. Peter did. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It was the beginning of the tribulation period. That was the next issue on God's prophetic agenda. It's what the disciples knew was going to happen. It's why they sold everything and had it in common. The apostles were already starting to exercise those kingdom authority rights that they were going to have. They were forgiving sins. Heard of Ananias and Sapphira. Man, whatever they bound on earth was bound in heaven. Matthias was named the, the twelfth apostle. Man, they were exercising that authority. The tribulation was the next thing to take place. They were preparing for it. The world was ripe for God's judgment and His wrath to be poured out. What a horrible, frightening, disturbing time. But did God's wrath fall? What fell instead? Grace. God in His infinite wisdom and mercy had a program hid not revealed to the Old Testament prophets, not revealed to John the Baptist, not revealed to the apostles. The mystery. Christ in you, Gentile. Christ in you, Jew. Put your faith and trust and based on His finished work, salvation is going to be offered to all who believe, regardless of what Israel does. God says, I offer this salvation. Instead of God's wrath and judgment falling, which it's going to one day, by the way, because God's promises are without repentance. But what fell was God saving the chief of sinners on the road to Damascus to destroy more believers. God in His grace and mercy saved the most unlikely character of all. Actually, this Saul of Tarsus he himself had committed the unpardonable sin, I believe. When Stephen was stoned, when Stephen was stoned, he was there giving them the authority to do that. How in the world could he be saved? How could salvation now be offered? By grace. Pure, sweet, wonderful grace. What an amazing God we serve. And from that time forward, He starts revealing to this apostle, this man chosen by God, that mystery truth, that revelation concerning what our marching orders are for today. The church, the body of Christ. Folks, you want to understand your word. Understand the difference between God's prophetic program to Israel and all the blessings that are going to come upon them. And that dispensation of grace that we're in now concerning God's church, which we're part of. And you see, that's why Paul says, he makes it very clear, 
Now is the day of salvation. What do you have to do to be saved now? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. There are no sacrifices. There's no law. There's, there's nothing that we have to do in order to appease God, but believe on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. What a plan. What a hidden truth that's now been revealed. And in order to teach the truth of God's Word, we had better make sure that our emphasis is on those Pauline epistles concerning the truth for the church today. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for the, the excitement of your Word. And Father, we want to be students. Father, we want to study we want to know what your word says. We want to be able to declare it faithfully. We want to be able to stand on it wholly. Father, make us students of your word. Give us a hunger. Give us a thirst. Give us a need to mine these wonderful golden nuggets of truth. And Father, as we become the student you would have us to be, may we understand right division. May we understand what is for us, what is to us. And may we praise your name for both. Now, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here who's never trusted you as their Savior. Father, if there's anyone who's listening over the Internet who's never trusted you as their Savior, that this will be the moment that they will bow their heart and their minds before you and they will become new creations in Christ by believing in the Lord Jesus, by trusting in His work on Calvary's cross as payment in full for their salvation. Now, Father, we just pray for this church. And by the church, I'm not talking about the bricks and the mortar, but I'm talking about each person who's here this morning. Father, bless their homes, bless their families, bless their lives. Make each one of us the ministers of reconciliation that you'd have us to be. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his holy, righteous, glorious sake. Amen.